Well, it is good to be back. We, uh, Karen and I had the profound privilege of taking one of our bucket list trips over the last couple of weeks to our nation's 49th state, and uh, that's a big place. That's an amazing place with mountains and glaciers, and we saw bears and moose and caribou and orca and humpback whales and Lots and lots of identical tourist shops. <laughs> it was a great, great trip, and we're, um, we're glad to be able to check something off on our bucket list, though I'm starting to get a little bit concerned because it's getting short. Um, you know what happens when you check everything on your bucket list? Oh, you know why it's called a bucket list, right? So... Um, but one of the things I'll always have control over is on my bucket list is to get a tattoo. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever actually have the courage to do that, so I could maybe live a long time. Thanks so much to Pastor Mark Pierce and also to Pastor Paul for bringing the word to you on the last couple of weeks. They were I listened to both of those online. They were truly excellent messages in their own right, and I'm just really grateful to them for bringing those messages. Concerning texts and emails and phone calls, let me say this, that being gone two weeks, um, I have returned all of the phone voicemails. Um, I will be beginning, I got back late this week, um, beginning to go through the hundreds of emails uh, this week, and uh, I will not be returning texts. So um, if you have an outstanding text in my direction, uh, it just doesn't exist. So you're going to have to send it again. There's just no way I could. And we're just going to wipe the line slate clean. Just retext me, okay? Hopefully it wasn't an emergency. Um, I've, I, you know, whenever I'm away, I, I, uh, I don't miss you while I'm gone. Uh, but I always love you when I'm back. Um, you know, I, 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 just, uh, I just connect with Paul, who said of the Philippians, you know, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and I thank him for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then later in the book, he says, and I, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And um, that really is true, that, um, you know, I just really love you guys. And I always like very much to come back. So this morning I want to finish the summer short series with actually a two-part message entitled Dealing with Disappointment. And um, disappointment is something that we, have, we all have in common, isn't it? Everybody experiences some level of disappointment, some minor disappointment, some moderate disappointment. And in certain times in our lives we experience profound Profound disappointment, yeah? And so I was really praying about this, and since it's something that no one really escapes, I really felt drawn to spend some time developing some biblical counsel about how to deal with disappointment. It truly is uh, a, a, on a short list of things that all of us have in common. I was reflecting on things that we all have in common this week, and well, maybe not all of you will be able to relate to everything on this list. I do have a list of the top ten things that I think 
that we share in common, at least many, many of us. And the first one is proofreading a text after you've sent it. Can anybody relate to this? And then you sent, oh, I meant to say, can, is, it, is it just me? Or does, yeah? Uh, proofreading a text. I think also many of us share in common turning down the volume on your car radio when you're looking for a house. Is that right? It's like, oh, I think we're getting close. I don't know what the relationship, am I right? It's going to help us see better if we turn that down, maybe. I think we share in common talking to your pets like they're people. Go ahead, admit it. Yeah, that's what I, oh, Buddy, I'm so glad to see you, you know. Uh, we share these things in common. Uh, throwing away the box your microwave meal came in and then immediately fishing it back out to see how long to cook it. Is that true of anyone here? That's pretty common, isn't it? You'd think we'd catch on. Uh, I think we share in common pretending that you didn't notice that the trash can is full. Does anybody know this? I think I can get that banana peel to stay. You know what I'm talking about? I think we share in common saying you've read the Greek classic Odyssey when really all you've done is watch the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Some of you are going, is that what that was about? <laughs> I didn't know there was a connection. I have a better one for you. And that is saying you've read the Trojan horse in the Greek classic Iliad when all you really know is about is the Trojan rabbit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Do we share this largely in common? Sure. It's, it's only a flesh wound. Anyone? <laughs> all right, maybe not so much. Um, thinking of a great comeback four hours after the argument has ended... Ooh, anyone? Anyone? Try to rekindle the argument so you can uh, throw that one in there. I think the second thing that all of us probably have in common is hoping your pastor doesn't look into your cart when you run into him at the grocery store. You know, I run into you guys and you're like, well, hey, how are you? I don't know what's in there, but you don't want me to see it. And I think that one thing that we all have in common is experiencing disappointment. Like right now, some of you are disappointed that that wasn't funny. <laughs> Just experiencing disappointment is, is something that is universal to the human condition. Stuff happens. Stuff happens that we find to be disappointing and we need to know how to deal with it. We need to know what to do. A number of you have more recently experienced profound disappointment. My heart, as your pastor, just aches for you sometimes. When I think about the levels of disappointment that some of you have experienced recently, it's getting harder to be pastor here because I've known you too long and I love you too much. The distance, the gap has closed. And so your pain is my pain. And some of you have experienced such loss recently. The death of a spouse, a parent, someone you loved, a close friend, a brother, sister, 
in the Lord. Some of you have experienced tragic loss. Others of you are living with uh, medical conditions that you didn't used to have. And, and you're like, it's serious. This is very disappointing. Some of you have lost jobs. In some cases, even a home. Some of you have gone through divorce. Either yourself or someone in your family or someone you love, because many people go through this divorce, don't they? Just a number of you who are here who have more recently experienced profound disappointment, and you're on my heart because of that. I think there are a lot of ways to define disappointment, but I'd like for us to think of it this way. The disappointment is the pain and the sadness we feel when something doesn't turn out the way we had worked for, imagined, hoped, or assumed it would. There are several factors in there. Something we worked for that didn't work, and that's disappointing. Something we hoped for, imagined would be, and wasn't. Or something we just assumed, just we were living in an assumption that that would be that way. And then through some sudden turn of events, it wasn't that way. That's very disappointing, isn't it? Very disappointing. And I think this is one way to think about it. it. Disappointment comes as an unwanted surprise, doesn't it? The worst kinds of disappointments are the ones that we, we, we hadn't even thought about as being possibilities, right? And they just really take the wind out of our sails. How did that happen? That's a profound sense of disappointment. Disappointment virtually always involves a palpable sense of loss. You had something, and now you don't have it anymore. That's at the core of disappointment is a palpable sense of loss. The etymology of the word disappoint actually comes from a 15th century English word which literally means to dispossess from appointed office. So in the 1400s, if someone was disappointed they lost their office. They were unappointed. They were de-appointed. They were once appointed to something, and they lost that, and so they were disappointed. And we can understand how that would work. Once possessed, but then lost. Disappoint, unappoint, to disappear. It was there, we had it, and then it disappeared. It unappeared. It de-appeared. Discourage. We, we were doing fine. We had the courage. We had, we had the energy. We had the mojo. And then something happened, and we were uncouraged. 
We were decouraged. We were stripped of our courage. We lost our courage. We were discouraged. And so we were disappointed. Disappointment always involves, or virtually always involves, some sense of loss. And we sometimes set ourselves up for disappointment, don't we? And we we kick ourselves for this, but we set ourselves up for disappointment because we imagine things that were never really appointed. We imagine things. We assume things that were never really appointed. That they had every right by the laws of the universe or whatever to change and for you lose that thing that you had. But we never imagined it. We never, we assumed that it would always be there. And some of you have been disappointed in your, in your professions because you were up for a, a job, you were up for a raise, you were up for a promotion, you were up for a position, you were in an interview, and, and you got ahead of yourself, didn't you? And you thought you had reason to be there, to step into that place and go, I know they're going to call. And they didn't call. Or they picked somebody else. And you were disappointed. Because you had taken on an assumption, the imagination of a place, that wasn't really yet yours, right? Although you were trying to be full of faith and optimism, and and you were disappointed. But you, you were nonetheless disappointed because you had imagined or assumed that you had something that you didn't have. And so you were disappointed. We sometimes bring about our own disappointment because we make no real effort toward the situation we are disappointed in. This is a hard one too. Suddenly something changes, something is taken from us, and we're disappointed. And in retrospect, we start thinking, What could I have done, maybe, to help prevent that loss? Is there anything I could have done? When I hear in common conversation today about how disappointed the population is about, in general, and I'm not saying this is true of everyone, but in general there seems to be a large air of disappointment about our presidential choices in the upcoming election. I mean, it's just a really common conversation to go, I don't know. (laughs) A disappointment. Because we thought, people of this opinion, thought that because of history, they would have had better choices. But the question becomes, what effort did we make to impact, truly impact the process that resulted in our choices. We're disappointed, perhaps. But as we look back, I mean, other than perhaps voting in a primary, which is important, but it's the end of a process that starts long time ago. And so rather than being disappointed... I think we have to ask ourselves the question, what role will I take in the from here forward? 
because they're sometimes disappointed, although we've made no real effort toward the situation we're disappointed in. It always involves something we've lost. And disappointment always hurts, doesn't it? It always hurts. Whether it was an assumed position that we lost, whether we had a part in it, whatever the disappointment, is there a place in you like me right about here that kind of churns when you're living in a season of disappointment? Is it kind of visceral or is that just me? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That when you focus on, there's just something, maybe it's, maybe it's somewhere else on you, but that there's something visceral, there's something intestinal about disappointment, that when you think of it, you go, oh, and you feel that again? Who knows what I'm talking about? Disappointment always hurts. And some here today have suffered such loss that I'm sure it has created a lingering sense of disappointment. Sometimes it's a cumulative effect of a number of losses, and you fall into a place of Settling to be disappointed. Sometimes it's a sudden big loss. But it creates in us an air of disappointment, a lasting pain. It's sore to the touch. You ever sometimes forget that your elbow hurts, and then you move it wrong, and you go, oh, that's right, that hurts? Does anybody know this? Or some part of your body? It cre- it's just sore to the touch, and you can get along for a while... And then it comes back to you and you go, oh my God, that's right, that's gone. Disappointment is unfortunately universal, part of the human condition. But now, I have good news. We can recover from disappointment. God wants us to recover from disappointment. God has given us instruction into how to recover from disappointment. Even deep disappointment. We turn to the Word of God. I think there are a number of places that we could go. But I want us to go, please, to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 in your Bible. Right in the middle of your Bible, for those of you who are new, I have no idea where it is on your phone, your device. You'll have to find that on your own. Psalm 34. In order to understand it, what do we have to do first? Who said context? Raise your hand if you thought it. You may go! Well done. We must look at the context. Could probably never be more important than this, this particular psalm. Look at the prologue right under where it says Psalm 34 of David. Well, that helps us. David. Here was a guy who freely expressed a full range of emotions, yes? (laughs) When he pretended to be insane, wow, something's happening here, right? Have you ever pretended to be insane? (laughs) Have you thought about it? (laughs) When he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. Wow. That's the context of what you're about to read. He wrote this when he was pretending to be insane. What's happening 
when he's pretending to be insane? Well, turn in your Bibles way back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and you'll see what's happening. And what you'll see is that David is living in a season of profound disappointment. So, just to bring you up to speed, Saul was the king of Israel. Started out great, things began to unravel for Saul in a variety of ways. And then Samuel, the prophet, came along and anointed David as the next king. Saul, when you're done, don't worry about it, but when you're done, your successor is in place. It's David. Well, then David came along, and he was uh, gregarious enough to kill Goliath, the giant from Gath, the Philistine giant from Gath. And um, as he did that, that caused his popularity to spike. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands, the people would sing. Paul became, or Saul became threatened by this spike in popularity, and he began a conspiracy to kill David. Now, David had a best friend, and his best friend was Jonathan, who happened to be whose son? Saul's. Okay, Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. They have a covenant relationship together, the Bible says. Now, those of you who have covenant relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, you're the ones who can appreciate the power and the meaning of that, the security of that. And so in the midst of this, Jonathan is caught in the middle, living with his dad and then secretly visiting David. And David's saying, I can't go there. I can't go because your father wants to kill me. And so Jonathan's saying, my dad doesn't want to kill you. He said, well, let's have this test. There's a feast coming up. And your father will expect me to be there. But I want you to tell him that my brothers have called me back to my home to have the feast with them. And we'll see how he reacts. And he said, and then we can decide whether or not your father wants to kill me. And so this happened just as they planned. That David was out hanging out, hiding in a particular spot in the woods. And Jonathan went home. And the feast went on, and a chair was empty, and Saul said, Where is David? Why is he not seated next to me here? And Jonathan said, Well, Father, he has gone home to be with his family for the feast. And Saul became enraged. And he said, Why that son of a motherless goat? And he became enraged. And then he accused Jonathan of being in on some kind of conspiracy to protect him. And he actually hurled his spear at his own son. Which caused Jonathan to run out into the woods. And in the way that they had arranged to meet together. And he said, yes, you must go and you must go now. And so this is where we find David in 1 Samuel 21. He's at a place called Nob, and there's a guy named Ahimelech who is a priest. And he says, David, what are you doing here? Why are you alone? He said, well, I'm here because I'm, I'm on the run. And he said, why aren't your men here? They're going to meet up with me later. 
He said, why don't you have a weapon? He said, well, I have no weapon. Do you have a weapon here, priest, at Nob? And he said, well, what I happen to have here is I have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine that you killed. David said, that's a fine sword. I'll take it. And he took that sword and he moved on. Now, it wasn't too long afterward that Saul learned about this and Saul killed all the priests at Nob. He killed them because of their complicity with David. Now, David is at Gath. Gath is one of the five city-states of the Philistines. And so they're Philistines. And he's at Gath. And there is a, there is a, a, a king there. Verse 10, That day David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, king of Gath. Well, who is Ashish? I thought this said it's when he fled from, from Abimelech. Well, Abimelech was a common term for a king. Abimelech means son of the king. And so in a dynasty, everybody was Abimelech Ashish, son of the king. It was like saying Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a position. Abimelech was a son of the king. And so the, there is no discrepancy in, this, in these accounts. The son of the king named Ashish, you would say, who was a king... But the servants of Asia said to him, Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sung about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Well, this created an immediate problem for David. Because now this man, this Ashish guy, could ally with Saul, could kill David, could bring his head to Saul. There was a price on his head. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Ashish king of Gath. He was alone. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Are you getting this picture? He's really in character. Ashish said to his servants, Look at that man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? I love this sarcasm in the next verse. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? <laughs> Don't I have enough to do? <laughs> so it is in this time of the deepest kind of disappointment. David had lost everything he thought he had. He didn't even have his men. He had lost Saul. He had lost Jonathan. That was the last time they saw each other. He had lost even his fighting men. He was down to nothing. He's in a time of deep, deep disappointment. And that's the context of Psalm 34. And that's why that prologue is there. So everything we read, we have to read from that sense of disappointment. Now look with me at verse 15. David says, in this valley of the deepest kind of disappointment, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, 
but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned, and the Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This is a man who is in the deepest kind of disappointment and loss. And verse 17, if I can emphasize that again, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. This is the confidence that David has in the Lord. Now, what this tells us is to how to deal with, with disappointment. It really makes a difference what you do next. Everybody will feel disappointment, but what you do next makes all the difference. I'm going to give you a list of four things. First, focus on what you know to be true. When you are in a time of deep disappointment, focus on what you know to be true. You have lost a lot, but there are still some things in your world that you absolutely know are true. David says, I'll extol the Lord at all times, verse 1. His praise will always be on my lips. The Lord is still the Lord. The Lord is still over the universe. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. In other words, devil, you can't hurt me badly enough to move God off of his throne. He says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He says, come on, come on. Let's focus on what we know to be true. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So what's past tense here is that his fear in the midst of his disappointment has been erased by the Lord. He's found confidence. And so he focused on what is true. If you turn back in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, in verse 8, you'll hear a similar thing from the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 4, what has become a pretty, pretty recognizable verse for a lot of us, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Focus your mind on what is true. Disappointments are often entangled in half-truths, aren't they? Listen, think about any disappointment. They're often entangled in half-truths. And there's an insidious temptation for you to believe it as full truth. Focus on what you know to be true. Disappointments are feeding frenzies for Satan's lies. When you are disappointed because something didn't happen, you begin to question yourself and the enemy comes in and says, it's because you're, you're a worthless person. Focus on the fact that you are not a worthless person. You are a new creation in Christ. You are a son of the living God. Disappointments are feeding frenzies for Satan's lies. So take solace in the truth. Take real solace in the truth and let the truth speak to you. You know, when a, when a loved one dies, let the truth speak to you. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Now we know the earthly tent we live, when the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. These things are true. Focus on that truth. Focus on the cherished memories of that person. Focus 
on what is true. Those things can never be stolen from you. When a relationship disappointment comes, let the truth speak to you. Say, what's left? What is the truth of this? Sometimes the disappointment can have such a huge, cast such an enormous shadow over the rest of it, can it? Say, but what is true about our relationship? Seek the truth. I was so blessed when I listened to both Pastor Mark and Pastor Paul give their messages and their willingness to be so candid with us. And I want you to see what happened there. I want you to see that when, in 2001, when, when Mark went out into his car, his Saturn, and he beat on the steering wheel and said, God, why aren't you taking care of me? And he said, I was so disappointed. And in that two-hour exchange in his driveway, and he just focused on the fact that God loved him. God loved him. And he came out of there a very different person. Because he was able to focus on the truth that in the midst of his deepest disappointment, God loved him. God loved him. God loved him. When Pastor Paul was coming back from missionary service in South America... And nothing was happening next. And he was so disappointed. What, did you hear his disappointment? I, God, I thought we were doing something here, and now where are you? And then in the midst of that, he just kept moving forward in what somehow he knew to be true. How can you study the tenets of atheism on one hand, and be in college to become a pastor on the other hand. Except that the truth was calling him. The truth was winning. And then one interview with the church, and another interview with the church, where we would get to that place of being sure, honey, this is it. Only to get the call or the email or maybe the nothing that said we're going a different direction. Disappointment. And Paul, I believe, was living in the cauldron of disappointment by God's plan so that he can be fully ready to minister to the deepest needs of your life. But he just kept letting the truth prevail. The truth prevail. Focus on what you know to be true. Good things can come from that. Henry Ward Beecher said, our best successes often come after our greatest disappointments. We've all experienced disappointment in varying degrees, some profoundly, and some of you presently. I perhaps never experienced a more profound sense of disappointment than when I made an emergency trip to India in May of 2012. And our dear friend, Pastor A. Stephen, was critically ill with kidney failure. A kidney transplant was not working. 
by the stirring of the Lord, I heard the Lord say, go and pray for your brother. So I immediately, immediately booked the airfare to go. And I went, and I got to Toronto where I was to change planes to Dubai and then off. And they said, there's something wrong with the plane. It's not flying tonight. Keep, stay tuned. And I went around the airport in Toronto looking for any other carrier that could get me to Bangalore, India. And there was no one, no one, no one. I remember getting down on my knees in the middle of the airport in a crowd of people and calling out to God, God, get me to India. And then finally, finally, in the middle of the night, Air Canada has a flight to London, and I could fly to Dubai, and then Dubai to Bangalore. Thank you, God. So I got on, I flew to London, and then I flew to Dubai. And then I got a phone call from Karen in the Dubai airport. Pastor Stephen has just died. I was so disappointed. I was so heartbroken. So I ended up getting on the plane from Dubai to Bangalore that I would have taken if I would have just waited in Toronto for the plane that went the next day. And I walked into the house. Stephen's daughter ran to me, put her arms around me and said, Oh, Pastor, if you would have been here yesterday. I remember that they said that to Jesus about Lazarus. Lord, if you had been here earlier. And so I stood over the body of Pastor Stephen and with all the faith I could find, I commanded him to live. And he didn't live. And this was deeply, deeply disappointing. Arguably my best friend in the world man from whom I had learned so much in ministry. As a day late. So it would seem. This is what the enemy is saying to you, me. Had you come earlier, had you listened better, you'd have been here on time. The truth is that life and death are in the hands of the Lord. And so I focused on what is true. And as I preached four days later at his funeral in front of 4,000 people, I said, Pastor Stephen is in paradise. And in this we rejoice. I have three more things I want to tell you. 
about dealing with disappointment that are as critical as the first. Father, we pray that you'll come now in our time of responding to you. We lay claim to the truth that the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, this morning I pray in particular for those who are crushed in spirit. For those who are just experiencing a level of disappointment that is perhaps sudden, perhaps is in the moment, but perhaps is lingering. Perhaps is something that is just lingering. Could we create space for you to come now, Lord, and hear their prayers? To lift up their hearts as the righteous in Christ. To lift up their hearts, their broken hearts, so that they can be heard by God and know that they've been heard by a God who answers their prayers. We invite you, Holy Spirit, now, in these remaining few moments to come, that your presence would come that the presence of your Holy Spirit would come to bring comfort, to bring healing, to bring power, to bring deliverance, to bring freedom, to bring insight, to bring perspective, to bring joy, to bring faith. Just a release of the move of your Holy Spirit here among us as we, we ask for your presence to just drape over us and to do your good work among us now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, will you stand with me, please? And could we have some prayer prayer uh, ministry people? Come on up and make yourselves available to pray for those who would like to be prayed for. Feel free to come to these guys. They're happy to pray for you whatever ways that you would ask them to.